I think a, a, a materialist approach to things is, is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, more, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, the good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a Catholic PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. I'm Matt Bernico. Uh, I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. Uh, it's a very special episode of The Magnificast because, uh, as you have probably seen from just watching social media, uh, the Oscars happened. So this is a special Oscars edition of The Magnificast. Oh boy, I love the Oscars. Um, so we're, we're going to go right to the source for all the best sort of Oscars coverage. Uh, and when I say right to the source and I say Oscars coverage, I mean Rod Dreher. I mean, we got to get Rod Dreher's hot takes on the Oscars. The source himself. Uh, the source himself. That's uh, Rod, the source Dreher. Here he is with all of the hot takes. Uh, so uh, Rod had a lot to say about um, a really fantastic film, uh by Guillermo del Toro, called The Shape of Water. Uh, Dean, have you seen that movie? I have seen that movie. I did see it. I know the shape of water. I know all the shapes that it can be, every shape that it can take. Now I know. Uh, Yeah, it's really cool. It's a great movie. Um, I'm not really much of a film person. I usually stick to uh, television uh, and sort of like uh, the critical aspects, but uh, Shape of Water is dope. Uh, Rod Dreher thinks uh, some things about it, though. Um, he thinks it's not quite dope at all. Uh, so Rod Dreher, uh, kind of giving us his Oscar takes, uh, wrote a really great blog post on the 5th, uh, so like the day after the Oscars. Uh, he wrote a blog post called Triumph of the Freaks, which is not a good look, uh, yeah, considering it, uh, it, a lot extremely, of things. Extremely bad, considering that the triumph that most people are celebrating was uh, more awards given to minorities at the Oscars, so not, not a great headline. Uh, no, really not... losing the culture wars on that front. Yeah, uh, but it's okay. Uh, maybe this, uh, this faux pas uh, Rod uh, makes is because, he, as he admits uh, very early on, that he does not watch the Oscars. <laughs> Uh, I'm so surprised. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? Uh, I guess they don't have uh, they don't have cable down in the old uh, Benedict Option basement. <laughs> down just, in Rachel uh... Held Evans's basement, uh, the cable <laughs> just doesn't go down that way. She can afford two cable boxes, and she's not putting one in the basement. Right. All they have is like a felt board with the little magnetic uh, Bible story <laughs> characters, and that's like the entertainment. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, having not seen uh, the film Shape of Water uh, does not stop Rod and uh, his uh, massive intellect uh, <laughs> in talking about the movie and sort of commenting on it. Uh, so Rod is responding to um, someone who he just refers to as a reader, uh, which I think is just, I mean, we know he's just making this up, but uh, <laughs> Rod uh, got a, a note from a reader um, that says this, the Academy used to play it safe with controversy, but now it's moving the Overton window faster than in real life. Who'd have thought one decade ago the most pre- the most prestigious award in the film industry would go to a film about bestiality and casting it in a positive light? <laughs> you know um, what I would say? Uh, spare the rod, spoil the reader. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so and then uh, Rod goes on to sort of uh, uh, <laughs> summarize his reader's thoughts and remarks, uh, saying this: In other words. You can have sex with anyone or anything you want because love is love and love wins. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that somewhere. Love wins. Yeah, I have heard that somewhere. Okay, so uh, Rod then concludes his article uh, reminding uh, conservative Christian readers of the following points. Um, these are really important, so everyone buckle in. Uh, so Rod reminds us, uh, well, he reminds conservative Christian readers, not us, not us other uh, Christian readers, just the conservative ones. Uh, Rod says, there are no politicians on earth capable of turning this tide of decadence. The power of culture is far too strong. You cannot expect your children to be salt and light to a culture that gives its highest honor to a movie celebrating bestiality as an act of liberation and a, quote, love letter to love, which is a comment about the film. Um, and then finally he says, soon, this is my favorite line, Soon, people who believe the things you do will be regarded as perverted and dangerous to the common good. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I'm so I'm so ready. yeah I'm so ready. Um, I'm so so ready. I love the last line because um, soon people who believe the things you do. I mean, it's not really being explicit about the things that you believe, but just like kind of leaving it as an empty sort of basket to fill with your worries and fears. It's great. <laughs> it's sort of that classic Rod stuff that he does. That classic classic rod. rod rhetoric. The that rod real hot rod take. That hot rod. The rod trick. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's, that's pretty wild. Uh, man, Rod should just watch that movie and maybe chill out a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. Uh, though he might find that he bears a striking similarity to a certain character in that film, and it is not the fish uh, person, and it is also not the protagonist. I'm not going to say who it is, but if you've seen the movie. You know what I'm talking about. You know. <laughs> well, uh, okay, so that's the uh, that's the Magnificast TM Oscar coverage. But now we're going to move on to uh, the Magnificast TM Oscar coverage. That's right. Time for some uh, Pope news about our favorite Oscar, Oscar Romero. He did it. He's going to be a saint. He made it. Yeah, so that's pretty neat. Um, everyone, every like vaguely leftist Christian knows about Oscar Romero because he's pretty cool. Um, Dean, what does it take to become a saint? How does that happen? Oh boy, uh, it takes a lot of things. It takes all kinds of stuff. You got to get some miracles in there. You got to get some people on your case. You got to get someone to to advocate for you. There's all kinds of very fun uh, bureaucratic details you can look into. But the thing that was holding Oscar Romero back for a while was uh, the confirmation of uh, the last miracle that he needed to be officially a saint. He's already blessed, 
uh, but he's got to be a saint. So Pope Francis confirmed it, and that puts him on the road to sainthood. Um, there's there's more details about it, but the, the most interesting thing is that Oscar Romero is a fascinating character, uh, not only in the history of the church, but also the history of El Salvador. So a uh, huge, huge deal. Here in Toronto, for example, there's a pretty significant El Salvadoran community, and uh, they are hosting a mass to celebrate this news, which is pretty cool. And uh, each year, actually, there are a variety of uh, leftist groups that celebrate Oscar Romero and uh, commemorate his assassination and martyrdom. He represents a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but he's celebrated by Christians and leftists alike in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, uh, there's a lot to say about Oscar Romero. I mean, uh, he lived a really fascinating life and a really amazing life. Um, he was murdered while giving mass. That's a pretty wild story. Um, something that's uh, really interesting. So, um, I think a really good example of some of the of the more radical end of what the gospel means to people. Um, so much so that people killed him for it. Um, yeah. Uh, there's uh, a lot of quotes to uh, a lot of a lot of really good things that Oscar Romero said that we can kind of take and reflect on. Um, here's uh, here's a quote that always kind of uh, sticks out to me uh, when it comes to Romero. Uh, he says, "A church that doesn't provoke any crisis, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under the, anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of society in which it's being proclaimed. What gospel is that?" It's one of those cool things um, that, uh, I, I don't know, resonates with me and in sort of my experience of Christianity in the sense that uh, if the church doesn't sort of make you uncomfortable in some way or respond to real crises in the world, then I don't know. Yeah. What kind of gospel is that is right. Yeah, that's a good snappy question for sure. Um, also interesting because in his particular society, the real sin that he was proclaiming the gospel in, uh, I mean, there were many, but uh, one of them was a brutal... Uh, right-wing far-right government that was supported and propped up by the united states both republicans and democrats bipartisan supporters of uh, fascism in latin america and uh romero was ultimately his his story is so fascinating because he was ultimately murdered by a right-wing death squad uh but he was appointed to be the bishop in um el salvador because uh, people sort of felt as though he would be a, a non-controversial figure. They thought he'd be a kind of relatively conservative guy who wouldn't really cause any unrest in an already unstable society. And the death of a very close friend of him, his who was a Jesuit, prompted him to start speaking out. And uh, speaking out so much so that they couldn't, um, couldn't handle him being around. So... Uh, it's fascinating because Romero wasn't even a Marxist, despite the fact that there were many Marxists and uh, guerrilla groups in El Salvador. Uh, and he was very intent about saying that he wasn't a Marxist, but he was still murdered because fascists can't handle anybody who's not a fascist. So I'm really curious to see what this is going to mean for the church in particular. I mean, who knows what it could mean, but for American Catholics, uh, it should at least give people some reasons to maybe look a little bit more into how American imperialism has affected their own church community around the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the thing that I'm always concerned about when things like this happen um, is just that these figures don't get sort of like, um, like whitewashed or like yeah. robbed of their sort of radical potential. That would be, I guess the worst thing that would happen. Like if we read this quote kind of uh, like outside of the context of which it happened, like outside of that story that you just kind of told, 
it would be kind of a bummer. Um, because, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, the city speaking out against, yeah, is, uh, is that type of fascism. So right. uh, it, it would be a bummer if it was just sort of liberalized, individualized. and But anyways, I don't know. Who knows what it'll mean? You're right. <laughs> um, cool. Well, that's our, our Oscar episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. This is the end, the end of the Oscars <laughs> special. Um, but you're in luck because we're doing, we're doing a back-to-back episode this week. Uh, we're also celebrating our 50th episode pretty exciting stuff we've been doing this podcast for uh, a year a little over a year officially and we've got some some fun things to chat about and kind of reflect on throughout the episode and think through what we want to do in the future and uh yeah we are pumped about it but first uh as always we're going to talk about some itunes reviews or at least one itunes review uh yeah so we have one itunes review um that's nice and um yeah, I think this is from your wife, Dean. I'm pretty sure Emily wrote this one. Uh, it says, <laughs> "It says by Emily with some like little squiggly kind of guys by it." Pretty guess, sure it's like her. From... I don't know squiggly. I've never seen her. I've never seen squiggly uh, around her name myself. <laughs> the title of this post is "Clap emoji, clap emoji, clap emoji," and it's five out of five stars. <laughs> uh, so this user, whoever they might be, really uh, writes, uh, "Good work." gals proud of you both heart emoji so that's good uh something to think just about just i think this is just a it must be a real strange coincidence um because emily and i just finished watching uh the last man on earth that tv show where there's a great great part where uh they challenge one of the characters tandy to uh give up masculine generalizations in this new apocalyptic world so he stops saying guys and he says he says gals in order to uh uh balance everything out so yeah it just must be like a really strange coincidence that this yeah. extremely cool cool user would be uh also um you know bucking the same kind of trends man what a what a just really interesting happenstance small world yeah yeah thanks emily whoever you might be we we asked people to send us voicemails and emails uh, for the special edition, the special episode, and I mean we got just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. We couldn't keep up. We were we were deleting them. There were too many, uh, and so we've we've called it down to only the best. Um, and we we have two very good voicemails that we'll play. Uh, you know we're gonna let some of our coveted airtime be taken up by these gracious folks. Um, so, Matt, why don't you go ahead and uh, roll one of these hot voicemails. Hi, you two. It's Catherine from Friendly Anarchism. Uh, congratulations on your 50th episode. That's super exciting. I'm glad to hear that. And I just wanted to let you know how wonderful it is to have uh, Christian leftist comrades, especially podcasters. You always uh, lift up my day. Keep doing your good work. Uh, yeah, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye. So that's a great message from Catherine of the podcast Friendly Anarchism. She was on our podcast uh, a little, a few episodes back. We did a joint episode with her and uh, she is amazing. Um, Yeah, she, (laughs) she mentioned that it's nice to have Christian leftist comrades who are also podcasters and uh, we feel the same way about her. It was pretty wild when we first discovered that she was also making a podcast um, and that it's interesting, especially because she does it from an anarchist perspective and we tend to be a little more Marxist on this podcast, uh, hopefully not um, frustratingly so, but <laughs> nevertheless, 
And uh, I think it's so cool that we've been able to develop a conversation with her and uh, hopefully help contribute to a, a more unified Christian leftist conversation. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, Friendly Anarchism is so good. Uh, it has been a really wonderful thing to uh, have met her and to listen to her podcast. It's cool. Yeah, uh, everyone else should listen to it, obviously. Um, not only because she... Uh, I don't know, left us a good voicemail, but also because she's extremely cool. Um, she has a lot of really cool guests on as well. Yeah. Uh, and is a little more focused on like activism and really getting out in the world and actually doing something, which is really neat. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, definitely worth your time. Uh, all right. We've got another one coming at you. Uh, here it goes. Hey, Magnificast. This is Steven in Houston. Uh, my question for you guys is, what would a good book recommendation be for somebody who is potentially interested in leftist ideas but is very normal, not like theory oriented, or um, but but still religious, if that makes sense? Um, thanks for all the good work you guys have been doing. Uh, it's been a great podcast. I've tried to share you with all my friends. Uh, thanks. Bye. Uh, thanks, Stephen from Houston. That's a great message. Um, what do you think, Matt? What's a good book recommendation for someone who's not uh, theory-oriented but um, interested in leftist ideas? Uh, yeah, if you're not a theory-oriented person, uh, that's okay because uh, <laughs> it means you're probably not as boring as us. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You could probably suggest a lot of books. Uh, I think that if you're not really interested in theory, I mean, maybe you could read uh, Howard Zinn's uh, History of the United States. That's a pretty cool thing. That's more of a history book and maybe sometimes theoretical. I don't know depending on what your kind of definition of theory is. Uh, but I think that a really cool place to start is actually uh, maybe with fiction. I think that fiction is a really good catalyst for some of these good leftist thoughts. Um, like uh, Ursula Le Guin's uh, The Word for World is Forest is definitely like a book that uh, sparks, I think, lots of um, sort of leftist ideas. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read it. Have you ever read it, Dean? I have not read it. Oh, man, it's good. It's like um, 190 pages. It's a pretty short read, and it's really fun and interesting. So um, it's about colonization and definitely uh, about colonialism, but it all happens in space. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's good. So I don't know. I think that kind of stuff is great. Uh, that's a good place for people to get started, just kind of thinking about those ideas and uh, how they work. If you can... If you can make some of those abstract ideas more concrete through a, a good sort of fiction narrative, I guess that probably helps. I don't know. What would you say? Yeah, I like that. Um, fiction is a good place to start. Uh, in terms of just, I guess, introductory sort of theory-ish books, uh, one book I always recommend is Terry Eagleton's book, Why Marx Was Right. Um, he comes from a specific Marxist tradition, and that has its own limitations, I guess. But he does sort of deal with a lot of basic objections to Marxism, and that's how he frames the book. So each chapter is a different objection. So one will say something like, I don't know, uh, Marxism uh, denies what's essential about our human nature. And he'll be like, well, that's not really the case. This is what Marxists think about that. Or uh, Marxism killed a bunch of people in history, and then he'll talk a little bit about that and what's going on there. So uh, that's a really accessible book. Um, at, my mom bought it for for me for Christmas one year, and uh, I'm always thanking her, thanking her for it. So <laughs> cool mom. It's a quality cool mom. <laughs> Uh, quality book. Uh, also, a number of actually uh, primary leftist texts can be somewhat accessible. Um, 
I think, for example, uh, Peter Kropotkin's The Conquest of Bread, uh, that's a really great anarchist text and pretty easy to follow along, I think. Um, like, intentionally trying not to be too too heady. Uh, yeah, I guess in terms of religious stuff, there's all kinds of liberation theology that will get you into it. We mentioned the Gospel and Salentaname on here uh, a few times. I think that's a great introductory text because you actually just see people who are also not theory-oriented, nevertheless coming to revolutionary conclusions about the biblical text. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there's a number of ways in, for sure. Uh, Those are two um, or three, I guess, sort of books that I think uh, at least were really useful to me and and books that I keep kind of returning to when I have, like, when I need to clarify something or something like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, That all sounds like some good suggestions. Oh, you know what book is really cool that I think is accessible. I don't know. It's maybe not super accessible, but I think it's worth uh, worth reading for people who are just kind of getting started is David Graeber's book on debt. It's pretty cool. Mm. I never read that book, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. It's neat. It's like anthropology, so it is kind of petty sometimes, but uh, check it out. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, check it out. Okay, those are uh, those are the voicemails we're going to talk about. They are also, truth be told, the only two voicemails that we got. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Send us some more if you want to. Uh, <laughs> but let's turn now to emails, uh, the textual medium uh, that we mostly work in. Uh, Matt, what were some uh, emails that really stuck out to you that we got? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so here's one email that we got from a listener. Uh, this is unlike unlike Rod Dreher's listen, uh, unlike Rod Dreher's <laughs> readers. This one's real. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you can identify yourself, but we're not going to do it. Yeah, uh, just in case you don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so this uh, this person uh, writes, "Dear Magnificast Sages, thank you. Uh, thanks for this. Your experiment in public discourse of Christianity and leftist politics. You have a." You have a good thing going, and I look forward to many more topics, interviews, and good tunes slash sound effects transition music to come. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I'll see Yeah, me too. Uh, I've been journeying left from my former understanding of the world since hashtag uh, Black Lives Matter and immigration, um, immigration issues. Somehow, I still find myself a member of a lukewarm, somewhat theologically conservative church that has some good practices of solidarity with neighbors. Uh, Marxism isn't a topic for a Bible study there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Probably uh, <laughs> my church too. Uh, but I find that people are at least turned off to bad things and skeptically hold liberal politics on issues of, quote, biblical justice. Learning from the Christian leftists, I've been able to keep a practice of being called to pragmatic material solidarity to my neighbors and my neighborhood by my church while starting to organize more broadly with a revolutionary political theology. Thanks for being a voice and gathering people on Twitter, etc. Some good memories for me are the Theology Theologian Church History apps are good. Amari Shea Armstrong is good. Uh, Daniel Camacho is good. Katie Grimes is good. Marie Rose is good. <laughs> books like... Uh, Fid- they are all good. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I know. Uh, books like Fidel and Religion, etc. Would love to see Roland Bohr, uh, more Latin American liberation theology. Cool. Um, oh, and uh, Palestinian Theology of Struggle, Revolutionary Politics and Theology. Yeah, good point. Palestinian theology of struggle. All right. Um, also, the practical stuff, uh, the practical church stuff is really good. Sarah New, John Thornton Jr., Kai Oaks, Catholic Workers, Brendan Joe, Friendly Anarchism, Catherine. Oh, right. She's from Friendly Anarchism. We just talked about that. Uh, Gospel and Soul and Taname, et cetera. Uh, and then for sure, uh, this person is asking for this thing by name. So listen, it's not <laughs> our fault. Uh, more Pope news. Uh, so this episode, you're getting lucky. 
because uh, you got it once since like I don't know episode ten probably. Um, <laughs> more Joel Nostein campaign, yeah, still still on that one. And current event blurbs from a Christian leftist take, like the Nazis are bad episode. That's good. Yeah, that was a great episode. That was after uh, Charlottesville. Yeah, that's right. Um, as a churchgoer, okay, this is sort of the conclusion here. As a churchgoer who is being radicalized by a number of things and this podcast plus adjacents, your content and followers have been a great community for me to take part in. I've even had great connections in real life with this community. Oh, that's so nice. Huh. That's cool. Dang. That's so cool. Shoot. Well, that... Okay, so this person is basically saying everything we've done is good and to keep doing it. So (laughs) I appreciate that. That's true. I don't know... uh, yeah, I mean, like, we've got almost everyone in there, so that's awesome. Um, I'm glad this person is so pleased with the things we've done, and I guess we'll have to do more Pope news. Pope news is sometimes hard, because the, sometimes the Pope just doesn't do things. It's true, and sometimes the Pope does things that are lame. Um, I guess we could talk about that. We could take a more critical stance. In the beginning, we were just talking about cool Pope news, but, um, yeah, after the episode we did with Kyle Oaks, it's probably also important to highlight bad Pope news. Um, the Pope's a, you know... He's a he's a middle of the road guy. So welcome to the Magnificast, where we give you fair and balanced reporting on the Pope. <laughs> That's right, uh, the one and only fair and balanced network on Pope News. Um, <laughs> he's a he's a lemon for our times, according to to Alex Jones. Um, yeah, uh, it is. It was a fun segment to do. Maybe we should revive it. Um, uh we we were like experimenting with segments for a while when we were dreaming up this uh this show i guess that's a little behind the scenes um if you (laughs) if you haven't noticed the show is like extremely uh ad hoc uh we we sort of pivot when we feel like we should and we add things and take things away and just kind of see what sticks and that was something we tried for a while and i guess we didn't feel like it stuck but maybe it did um i don't know feel free to say so if it did maybe we'll we'll keep on it yeah um for sure, we could definitely bring some of those things back. The segments were always fun. Just, I don't know. I always describe this podcast to people as being, like, low effort. <laughs> and by that, I mean, yeah. like, we don't plan a lot of it. But It's true, uh, as you can see. Yeah, maybe we could. Always a possibility. <laughs> always. Always a possibility. Yeah. Um, I, I also like the suggestion of doing a little more research on Palestinian theology struggle. Uh, I've been reading a little bit about that lately, actually, so it might be something worth talking about. But I feel like we'd have to find somebody who's actually knowledgeable and good at saying something about that. So, I don't know, tweet us somebody that you know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, it's it's also really nice to hear that people are making like connections with the larger Magnificast community. Um, I have as well, and that's been really fun to like meet people out in the real world. Um yeah, for sure. Like that a lot. Um, all right, cool. I'm gonna read an email that I thought was uh, pretty pretty neat, um, and I'll say why I singled this one out um, as we go. But here it goes. Hey guys, first off, happy 50th episode. Thank you. Personally, I've never run a podcast, but I'm sure that it takes a good amount of work and dedication. So it's awesome that you've come so far. Okay true uh matt was just saying it is low effort that's true it's low effort but it is also a good amount of work um holy cow sometimes it's too much work but yeah absolutely so low effort in the sense that we like don't plan and script it out high effort in the sense that like (laughs) i don't know editing any piece of audio is high effort yeah editing audio which we don't even do as well as we possibly could and uh like lining up guests all that kind of thing but extremely cool and and everyone else should should make one um all right moving on you guys are doing an amazing thing by making space for a group that rarely gets recognized before finding your podcast i'd always felt pretty isolated being a christian leftist and even questioned if those two beliefs could go together 
the fact that I go to Cornerstone University, uh, and here's the shout out because that's my alma mater. That's where I did my undergraduate degree. Um, the fact that I go to Cornerstone probably didn't help with that, uh, questioning if these two things can go together. But generally, we aren't recognized in the public sphere either. Um, well, uh, encouraging to you, I guess, uh, I also did not <laughs> find those uh, two, two ideas, being a Christian and being a leftist, very um, encouraged at Cornerstone. Um, for me, the Magnificat has largely relieved this tension since I get a weekly reminder that we do have a small but thriving Christian leftist community. Not only do I get to hear interesting discussions about books and articles, but also jokes about ridiculous things like Prager U. Uh, thank you for showing people that Christian discourse does not have to be steeped in gross conservative rhetoric. No, it does not. Get that get that tea out of your water. Quit steeping it. Um, <laughs> that being said, I found this book, and she sent a picture of God's Not Dead too. In an antique store a couple months ago. I love that it's in an antique store. It's already an antique. Uh, and thought it would be a great read and intellectual challenge for your next episode. Thanks again. Sincerely, your uh, your your cornerstone friend, as we'll call this person. Uh, so I've got a lot of a lot of things to say. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> okay, they're mostly about God's Not Dead too. Uh, <laughs> so first of all, these are all very nice things to say. Glad this person feels uh, less alone. That there's a community. That's really great. Um, all those things, wonderful. Ten out of ten. So happy. Uh, got that <laughs> dead two is a book in an antique store. How is that something? Like, <laughs> is it is barely a movie that just came out, let alone a book? How is how is this possible? It can't be. Uh, it can't be a thing. It's just uh, it's antique because all the views expressed in it are are old timey. <laughs> it's a new movie, but it's an old timey idea. <laughs> uh that's true uh nietzsche you know it's that old it's that old timey nietzsche it's that old time give me give me that old timey nietzsche uh <laughs> so it's a book and there's a movie did the do you think the book came out first or did the movie come out first oh gosh uh that i think the movie came out first and this is the novelization of the film Ooh. just uh injecting some drama some intrigue uh the kind of thing that only a literary medium can really give you uh hang on i'm gonna just figure this out really quick i need to get to the bottom of this situation that we've gotten ourselves into um i need to know the answer okay it is a paperback book it is 1019 on amazon it's not even an antique here uh Let's see. The book came out in 2016. The film came out in 2016. Don't know what to say about that. Well, uh, this is pretty on brand for the Oscar episode because, like Oscar the Grouch, we are eating from the trash can of ideology right now. Yeah. Um, Do you think that so... Melissa Joan Hart is also in the book? <laughs> uh, we can only hope. <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart as herself. As herself in the book. I think that God's Not Dead 2 would be better uh if it was actually starring uh sabrina the teenage witch i mean obviously mo most things would be better <laughs> if she uh was also if she was a lawyer that was sort of defending uh religious liberty but uh secretly a <laughs> witch is definitely the movie i'd rather watch <laughs> yeah yeah i agree salem's just like ribbing her every time she comes home sabrina uh good um well uh, I'm a little afraid of where we're going with this one, um, so I'm just going to suggest we move to a, a final email uh, before we get on to some other other things we want to do in the show so that it's not just a, <laughs> a weird weird version of a clip show. Uh, um, are you sure you don't want to hear more about Sabrina Teenage Witch? 
<laughs> you know, I'm not sure that I don't want to, but I'm just gonna roll the dice okay. and uh, and decide that I don't. Yeah, in the uh, in sort of like the the blooper reel here, I'll just talk more about Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Patreon Patreon subscribers only. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've watched like a ton of that show when I was a kid. I don't know if I could actually tell you about a single episode, which is I think pretty rare for me. Um, so. I don't know. I can tell you a lot about Clarissa Explains It All. I'm a real big Melissa Joan Hart fan, as it turns out, right now. Sort of a revelation late in life here. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, she's great. Uh, a genius. Ahead of her time. A uh, visionary. Uh, too bad she's in a crap movie. Okay. Uh, so we do have another email that I think uh, we can pull out here. That'll be fun. Okay. So this person writes, uh, one of my favorite episodes you guys did was, uh, I'm sorry, let me, re- let me read that one. One of my favorite episodes you gals did was when you interviewed Amari Armstrong <laughs> and she discussed the problem of Christian u- universality. She examined the deeply flawed universality that Paul sets up by charting a lineage from Abraham to Sarah to the exclusion of Hagar. Hagar is figured uh, as a racialized slave and a victim of rape who is cruelly excluded from the lineage of Christian salvation. The question is raised how this affects women of color who are to be excluded from universality and ultimately from salvation. I found this in, I found this analysis eye-opening, and it seemed to pull a thread which deeply shakes the edifice of scripture and the whole logic of Christian salvation. Whoa. Uh, ethical universality, uh, but especially the notion that Christianity can overcome hierarchies of identity, which is, ha- which is often how uh, Galatians is read. Given this uh, ethical legacy uh, that is productive of slavery, how do we think about Christian devotion? What does prayer and devotional life look like when we take seriously an analysis like this? How is the tradition of Christian spirituality marked by this legacy of exclusion? And then uh, this person says, uh, after dropping that like absolute bomb of a question on us, says this, (laughs) thanks, keep up all the good work. (laughs) Keeping it light. (laughs) It's just really light over here. So listen, jerk. Um, No. I don't know, Dean, what can we possibly say about this shoot uh yeah uh not a lot i'm gonna say right off the bat one reason is that um i feel like this is kind of an ongoing issue that we've had uh on the podcast which is basically like how do you save christianity (laughs) despite the fact that it has produced so many bad things in the world um we've asked a few different guests this question um and i think it's an ongoing question and it's one that i don't want to um close the door on uh so i'm hesitant to like give a a definitive answer but um a at least a a provisional answer for me um i think is basically to just echo what marika rose said on the episode that we had uh with her where she was dealing with some similar problems and we asked her something like this question and she said uh you kind of just have to own that as part of christianity as part of the christian legacy um and learn to embrace it as part of this tradition and uh fight against it from within and um you know not see yourself as sort of separate from that that legacy but a product of it in some ways um so i don't know what does prayer and devotional look like uh devotional life look like when you take that seriously um i guess it looks really complicated (laughs) i mean it looks really hard uh what does christian spirituality look like um I think especially for people struggling with the, their own sort of ed- cultural education and whiteness, it's difficult to figure that out, but um, something that we should keep talking about. I don't know. I don't have like a, a very easy solution, but um, I think being troubled by the question is probably the most important thing, at least for me right now in my own spiritual life. Yeah, 
Uh, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I agree. I, I think if there's two episodes that absolutely, like, um, wrecked me, I guess in a good way, if you can be wrecked in a good way, um, were the episodes with Amaria and also, yeah, the episode with Marika. Um, they're really striking conversations because they they underline the ways that Christianity is complicit in oppression historically and even sort of theologically, um, especially especially in Amaria's uh, uh, article that she wrote. Uh, I think that these things should really trouble us. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I agree with you that uh, Mariko is right, that we shouldn't try to find ways to kind of get out of this and absolve ourselves of it. Uh, it's, I think, a, an inheritance that we have to deal with in some way. Uh, the question, though, is even more difficult because it's like, okay, so like we can intellectually understand those things. Like we can intellectually understand um, like s- slavery and we can understand exclusion um, and we can understand colonialism and all kinds of things like that. But like the the real problem is like finding a spirituality on the other side of that in the sense of like how do you mm. still participate in in like the church when you know those things are the case and man it is super difficult um it's a super difficult thing to think through i guess the the only the, the thing that makes me still a christian i think even after knowing those things is i guess like i don't know i still believe in god so i guess that's a thing um but uh what keeps me a Christian is sort of the plasticity of the religion um, and the tradition in the sense that like um, it is really bad, but there are still some like really good people involved in it. Some people who are um, anti-colonialism, anti-oppression, who are abolitionists of all kinds. And I think those people keep me sort of within uh, the church proper, Uh, but like you kind of have to hold those things in tension and just hope for the best, uh, I guess. There's one thing, I guess, okay, so encountering these really difficult problems and sort of the idea of, like, spiritual practice, sort of Christian devotion, what does prayer look like? Um, I guess the the thing I always come back to is something that's actually really simple and maybe uh, might sound kind of stupid, but uh, I have a really good pastor at my church who uh, was also one of my professors in undergrad, and I like him so much because he's a really loosey-goosey kind of guy uh, theologically. He's, like, not like a... <laughs> hardcore like orthodoxy kind of person he's just uh he's chill he's open to sort of like spirituality at large and isn't like really um you know you know what i mean uh anyways yeah <laughs> uh one thing that we practice in sort of the liturgy of our church is the prayers of the people uh which is a cool thing i mean other churches probably do this too but uh basically the community sort of shares uh shares whatever sort of like prayer out loud during church um and then like the congregation will say lord have mercy and the phrase Lord have mercy, I think, is one that usually sticks with me because I guess it's just like embedded in my brain because this is like one of those liturgical practices that sticks with you. But I like the phrase Lord have mercy because it kind of functions in a really flexible way in the sense like mm. um, Lord have mercy on us. Lord have mercy on them. Lord have mercy in the sense of like, oh, my God, please don't judge us for this. Um lord have mercy because like someone's doing something really awful so it's like it's like this really great sort of like uh prayerful covering of everything like checking all your boxes which might make it sound kind of lazy but i don't know to me that's what uh prayer life looks like just like mercy is the only thing that we can really hope for i think in a lot of situations 
Yeah, that's true. Um, one of the things that also kind of came to mind uh, as I was just thinking a little bit more about this um, and listening to you talk about, you know, these different ways that we kind of navigate these things in communities. Um, one thing that Amaria says in her article and in the episode we talked about uh, was um, if you if you can recover these people like Hagar in the biblical tradition, uh, you can see that they're also part of the tradition. They're excluded in an important way. Um, but in that exclusion, they sort of haunt it. Um, and they, you, you can't really get rid of people like Hagar within Christianity. Yeah. And uh, that, I think, is a really interesting thing to kind of experiment with. And we asked her on the podcast, uh, you know, are you trying to sort of build a, a counter tradition or a different tradition or something like that? And um, you know, that's maybe one way of kind of thinking about this. There are, uh, I know, um, some feminist theologians in particular, uh, Rosemary Radford Ruther comes to mind, but there are many others who have tried to deal with this problem in terms of the biblical exclusion of women generally, and they've come up with all kinds of interesting strategies of trying to uh, create counter memories within the tradition and build liturgies around women who are excluded in the biblical text itself and, uh, you know, trying to um, honor them through other spiritual practices that lift them up, uh, in some cases over and against their oppressors, uh, which sometimes the oppressors is the biblical text. Uh, So, you know, um, I think there are probably a number of ways to keep that plasticity that you mentioned, Matt, uh, open and to try to incorporate some of these troubling insights uh, into that plasticity. in part, I guess, so that we can uh, combat those issues in our own tradition, but also that so that we can keep sort of living with those those problems. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I don't know. You said at the beginning of this question, there's not like a great answer, <laughs> but maybe we got as close as we can get. <laughs> yeah, as close as we can get. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll have to have um, uh, Marika and Amaria back on to help us think through maybe some better answers still. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a good segue into a couple questions that I've prepared for you, Matt. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, you're on the hot seat. You're the Magnificast guest this week. I don't know if you knew this, that's but 50th episode. really frightening, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, now nah, we can, we can do these together. Here's a, here's the first one. Uh, what were some of your favorite episodes and guests, Matt? In the, maybe, maybe like, what were your top three? I could probably be persuaded to change this top three because I think they're all good. Like um, each one of these episodes is like uh, is like I don't know. I really like all of them. It's so hard to pick three, but um, I think uh, the Marika Rose episode is good because it basically like shook me so hard. I'll never stop shaking. Um, that was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the Amari episode is also good for a sort of similar reason. It definitely opened my eyes to uh, some ideas and theology that i guess i had not considered um and oh man i don't know they're all good okay here here's a deep cut um fave fave episode deep cut um (laughs) uh i liked uh when we talked with josh christensen (laughs) uh about paul virilio uh, that might be my uh, like one of my fave episodes. Let's see. That is episode number four, War in Cinema. That's really cool. Uh, it was a very fun episode. It was really good. Um, so there, deep cut Josh Christensen episode. It's a good one. Go back and listen to it if you want some extremely strange uh, takes about uh, Paul Verrilli. <laughs> that episode is an hour and 16 minutes long. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We were really finding our feet back then. Uh, it's a little embarrassing to listen to a few of them, but uh, Josh is an amazing, uh, brilliant person, so I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Um, well, what are your favorites? What are your top 
top three. Dang. Uh, all right. Well, okay. Uh, I also really appreciated Mario's and Marika's episodes. Um, and I guess I'm going to choose three different ones, just a highlight mm-hmm. instead. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the episode that we did with uh, Dave McKee. Episode 30 oh, yeah. he is the uh, provincial leader of the Ontario Communist Party. Um, yeah, it was just really fun to listen to a guy who is part of a party and uh, has a sympathetic take on Christianity and um, I think did a really, really great job like presenting what his party, what the Communist Party of Canada cares about. And um, also his just general demeanor sort of expresses why I like hanging out with them a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're very chill and nice and cool. So I really enjoyed that episode. Um, I also liked the uh, episode that we did with George Chikorea Meyer uh, on Venezuela, um, just because it was a good chance to learn a lot about what's going on in a socialist country and, um, well, a country on the way to socialism, hopefully. Uh, So that was really great. And uh, if I had to highlight a third episode, um, I would have to highlight one with (laughs) with Derek Ford. Yeah. Um, in part because he has been on the show three times more than anyone else. Um, Derek's but the Justin Timberlake those... of cast. <laughs> he really is, uh, in more ways than one, extremely, <laughs> extremely good-looking fellow. Um, I think uh, episode 12 that we did with him, Party On, yeah. uh, that was really fun because we read a, an article by Herbert McCabe and also some stuff by Lennon on religion and class struggle. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate Derek's take and just his general kind of um, willingness to, to put up with our, our nonsense. So that was good. Yeah. Oh, dang. Uh, okay, so this is a, another deep cut. I don't. It was one of the weeks that you were gone like a thousand years ago. Uh, episode 14 <laughs> where uh john burningham and i talk about uh church camp do you ever listen to that one? Oh yeah dude it's pretty funny i did i listened to it on the plane oh yeah it's some good stuff <laughs> church camp man just that disciplinary uh evangelical society of control <laughs> yeah uh yeah definitely it was good <laughs> i'm scrolling through the uh the old feed at the moment and we got so many good episodes dang we're so talented and smart. we've got 50 of them yeah i know 50 whole episodes I mean, we have 49, but you well, know, when you scroll through it again, there will be 50. That's good. Yeah, good point. Uh, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move right along here. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, I could just go through each one of these and be like, oh, man, that was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here was a, here's a question that actually Emily suggested I should ask you, and it's a very good one. Um, what is something that you wish leftists knew about Christians, and what's something that you wish that Christians knew about leftists? Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I guess I wish leftists knew that, like, Christians aren't dumb. <laughs> well, like, okay. Which ones? Yeah, well, some Christians. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's, like, a uh, – we talked about this a little bit, like, with uh, Brett from Rev Left, even, that, like, uh, atheism is sort of, like, a thing on the left, uh, probably for some good reasons, as we've talked about in other episodes. Um, but uh, – there's sort of uh, religion causes like a rift uh, that is unnecessary. And like, I, I mean um, like the, the, the themes that are just sort of inherent in like new atheism kind of bleed into that sometimes. And people end up thinking that like uh, Christians are just like dumb people who believe in like weird irrational things. Um, so I don't know. It'd be great if like, uh, like when I went and talked to like other leftists uh, who aren't Christians, like we could skip like, that whole part of the conversation um but uh <laughs> i don't know 
for now, I guess we got to do it. So it'd be great. It'd be great uh, just for them to know that like uh, Christians are people who are actually smart and not irrational and like, I don't know, believe in some type of weird cult thing. That'd be a great starting point. Um, Solid. Dig that. Yeah. I wish Christians knew that there are historically other Christians uh, who are also communists. Um, and That's a good one. Yeah. And that uh, communism is actually good. I wish they knew those things. Um I think that the those would be really great things because like I, I feel like uh, whenever I kind of broach the topic with uh, a person, I always have to do all this like weird contextualization and like well actually there are all these other Christian communists and Christian socialists and Christian anarchists throughout history and like this is not actually a weird stance to take. It's pretty normal if you think about it. Um, it's just like yeah. lots of sort of like apologetics you have to do right off the bat with people because this is such a foreign topic in so many ways. So right. if maybe more Christians uh, knew a little bit about history, it'd be cool. I don't know. What do you, yeah. what do you think? What, how did you answer that question? Okay. Uh, I wish that leftists knew that um, – I wish leftists knew that Christianity is very diverse and weird, um, that it's not a singular – monolithic tradition maybe this kind of is a similar uh, kind of thing that you had going saying christians aren't dumb um but uh christianity is just full of so many different kinds of people and different kinds of christians and to kind of disparage christianity or or other religious traditions just on some kind of vague idea of materialism really ignores uh <laughs> the actual practices of so many people yeah uh, like uh, bi- literally billions of people. Um, that is what Cornel West was talking about um, in the Opium of the People episode we did, where we talked about an essay he wrote, uh, sort of communicating that to leftists, you know, that you shouldn't really write off um, a lot of Christians in a lot of parts of the world, but try to understand uh, how they actually show up. So that's how I feel about leftists. Um, I wish that Christians knew that leftists uh, don't want to take your toothbrush. That's like a, a common a common uh, leftist um, retort to private property worries. But uh, I think that a lot of Christians hear leftists talk about private property and talk about other sorts of, um, you know, things like expropriation and having common goods and all that kind of thing. And they worry about their own safety, which I think is a, not really a, a good Christian reaction, uh, but B also not actually what <laughs> leftists want. Uh, they don't want to uh, ruin your life. Um, I mean, most of you, they don't want to ruin uh, your, uh, your life because you probably don't actually own a whole lot of means of production yourself in the first place. Um, so yeah, I think just clarifying some of those misconceptions and trying to understand what leftists actually genuinely want positively, uh, in the world, like what kinds of ideas they've come up with. Uh, I mean, there's so many different ways that leftists have thought about how to organize our society according to people actually thinking, uh, about how it would work rather than according to people, uh, desiring things for no apparent reason. Um, I think that that is something that I wish Christians paid more attention to. Yeah, that sounds like good good answers. Um, all right, last thing. Okay. Uh, what do you want to do in the next fifty episodes, Matt? Man, um, I just want to keep on keeping on. Really, I want to talk to more cool people. I want to read more books, and I want to do more Pope news. <laughs> just commit to that. I want to. Okay, no. Here in the next fifty episodes, I want to unseat Joel Osteen from his iTunes throne. I want to yeah, cast please. down that guy, send him away cast him right with down. no subscribes, no likes, no faves. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, that'd be cool. <laughs> that'd be a cool thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, I want Joel Osteen to become so annoyed with me, he blocks me on Twitter. There. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Live in your best block now. <laughs> that seems pretty doable. What do you want to do in the next 50 episodes? <laughs> uh, same, I guess. But that's too easy, so I'll say something else. Uh, I would, I'd like to explore some issues that we haven't gotten around to in the last 50 episodes. Um, I'd really like to talk more about indigenous struggles um, in North America. I think, I mean, we had one episode with Melanie Camp a long time ago, yeah. kind of talking about some of her research on residential schools, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but there's so, so much out there that's really exciting and good and especially important for Christians, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to dig into that a little bit. Um, yeah, I'd like to kind of keep keep looking for things we haven't really talked that much about. We, we haven't done a whole ton of stuff on uh, queer folks generally. Yeah. We haven't done a whole lot of, of work on, I, I mean, there's a whole host of issues that we'll keep adding to i guess but yeah i mean I, that's what i hope that we can do in the next 50 episodes kind of keep rounding out some of the the guests and topics that we've worked on in the last 50 yeah that sounds good that sounds um better than the joe osteen thing but joe osteen thing's good <laughs> i mean they're they should go together <laughs> yeah i think so uh that's really cool <laughs> um neat well i guess we just gotta uh we just gotta do it just doing it 2018 Really just doing it, just really doing it, really doing it, just doing it. <laughs> That's the hashtag for this year. It's a great one. <laughs> uh, 140 characters. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, those are the plans that we have for the future. Hopefully, uh, you will keep listening to us and help us get them done. Um, I think one of the really cool things about uh, the Magnificast uh, has just been sort of the community that's grown around it. I've really appreciated that on Twitter and on Facebook it's been really fun interacting and talking and just like uh, knowing that people are listening and, um, and getting into it. I don't know. It's a cool thing. So um, thank you all so much for uh, sticking around and retweeting and sharing our content and uh, responding in all the ways that you have. It's been really nice and uplifting. Um, Cool. So thanks to all of our nice listeners out there. Yeah, I would definitely echo that uh, that note of gratitude. Um, it's also really just amazing that we've had so many people who are supportive of what we're doing and are trying to extend it and add to it and do their own thing and find ways of connecting to it. And, you know, we've we've also been very encouraged to find out that there is really a Christian left and uh, that there are people looking for other ways to connect and um, I mean, it's amazing that people have helped us uh, pay our bills for the podcast through Patreon. Yeah. Uh, it still blow- blows me away um, every month that people are willing to kick in and help offset the costs a little bit. Uh, it just makes a, a huge, huge, huge difference that we can't really underline uh, enough. But also amazing that people contribute in, in non-financial ways, uh, whether that's just by interacting on, on Twitter and having a conversation. I mean, I love goofing off uh, with folks. That That's really good. Um, people giving us iTunes reviews and things like that. It's just fun to kind of see people contributing in ways that make sense for them. And uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that we, we made these buttons, we made this t-shirt, uh, and we made a whole lot of friends along the way. Uh, it's just been a, a wild ride, a, a good good year. It's crazy to me that it's been a whole year. It doesn't really feel like that. Yeah. But you know what they say, time, time flies when you're having fun making a podcast. Communism was just the friends we made along the way. <laughs> 
that's what it, that's that's right. I think man, that's what they'll say. If this was a uh, if this was in the uh, video medium, I think to round this episode out, we could just have a nice sort of montage of the last year. <laughs> it would be mostly pictures of uh, my wife and I folding up T-shirts, but um, that's what we we could do. <laughs> yeah, that and. Uh... <laughs> Um, building a, a very precarious stack of books uh, to put my microphone on the top of uh, each week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Well, again, thanks for listening. Uh, next week, uh, Matt is going to be here in Toronto visiting Emily and I. And if you live here or near here, uh, he's giving a, a talk at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. Um, and it is free and open to the public. So if you're in the area, come and hang out. Um, I know that there are other Magnificast folks that are going to be there. So that's pretty cool. Uh, also, like we said, you know, numerous times in this episode, please feel free to, to leave us an iTunes review. Um, go ahead and uh, look into all the guests that we've got in, on this podcast. It wouldn't really be much without having so many interesting people willing to say yes uh, to having these conversations. So um, I don't know, buy their books, read their articles. Like we have them on because we genuinely like them and we think that they're great and, and worth promoting. So please uh, go out of your way to show them that support as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, except thanks so much. Um, and we'll see you next week. Also, uh, for those who want to know the music in this podcast, the intro and the transitions are by Amaria Armstrong, uh, the very one that we already talked about as a fantastic guest. And our outro, as always, is by The Illogical Spoon. Uh, you can find them on Bandcamp and dabble in their music and kick them a couple of bucks. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no damn between us and our Lord